This morning's reading is from Judges 7 and can be found on page 249 of the Church Bibles. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out there for you. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Malachites, and all other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sands on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling, his fr telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread was tumbling into a midnight camp. It struck the tent and with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them, with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all round the camp blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars. 
Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position round the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah, towards Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola, near Tabath. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they, pushed the, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the water of the Jordan, ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So the men of Ephraim were called out, and they seized the water of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the head of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please keep the passage open in front of you. So Judges chapter 7, page 249. And let's pray together. Father, we pray you would lift our eyes to you, to know you better, to behold your glory and your strength, and that you would help us in our weakness. Feed us now, we pray, as we come to your word. Amen. So Judges chapter 7, we are in the middle of the uh, story of Gideon. Uh, We had the first part last week, and the last bit will be next week. We're in the middle bit. And there is a lot in this passage about strength and weakness. And that's very important for us. Because we all go through times where we feel weak. Maybe some here are feeling that particularly at the moment. That you're feeling powerless. Things overwhelm us. There can be a whole load of reasons for this, can't there? Maybe your own health. The health of those you love. Maybe family members going through hard times. Bereavements. And so on. And there can be a whole load of reasons why we feel weak. And I wonder, and when you go through those times, how you relate to God. Because our temptation may be to doubt, to question. Why am I going through this difficult time? Why do I feel so weak? Surely if God was really there, if I was really his child, I wouldn't be feeling so helpless. And sometimes non-Christians, those who aren't yet Christians, also look at Christians and see the weaknesses, see the struggles that we go through, and maybe conclude, uh, and maybe this is something you'd be tempted to think of if you're you're not yet a believer, uh, that maybe you conclude, well, maybe it can't be true. Because surely if Christianity were true, Christians wouldn't struggle so much. They wouldn't feel so weak. But maybe that shows that we have a tendency to misunderstand 
the Lord God, the way he deals with people, and what is best for us. And so, uh, this morning, as we look at this incident with Gideon, we're going to see uh, a lot that this passage teaches us about strength and about weakness and about how the Lord lovingly and graciously deals with us. And the first point that I'd like you to see in the passage is the danger of strength. We need to remember what the situation is. So verse 1, have a look at that. Beginning of the passage again, page 249, it says, Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. It's obviously a wealthy place, you know, fancy produce there. Thank you. Um, the camp of Midian... Harrods, that's what I'm going for. If you didn't get it. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moray. Now, OK, what's the situation? We've got two armies gathering. You've got um, the Midianites. Now, they have taken over the land. They are dominating the land. They're oppressing the Israelites. And there are lots of them. If you look at uh, verse 12... You see what it's like. So just have a look down at verse 12. It says, The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Now, that's not a comment about their intelligence. That's the last joke, all right? Um, it's, it's not about their intelligence. It's about how many there are. They're thick as locusts. They're just loads of them. Their camels can't be counted. It's a vast number, a huge army that's against them. Uh, and this is the, the occupying forces who are oppressing the Israelites. And then you've got Gideon and his uh, army who are gathering. And we know from the previous chapter, from chapter 6, that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Gideon, he's blown a trumpet, and 32,000 people, uh, men, have come to form an army. We know it's 32,000 from later in chapter 7. But they are clearly vastly outnumbered. Uh, it seems like they would be. Uh, 32,000 for Gideon's army versus um, the valley thick as locusts with, uh, with the Midianites. So at the beginning of the chapter, that's where we are. The two armies gathered. But there's a problem. Verse 2. What's the problem? The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. If I give you victory with this many men, the Israelites will say it is their own strength that saved them. Here is the problem of strength. It is a problem that goes to the heart of the Israelites, to their pride. And it is a problem for us too. You see, the problem of strength is this. That if there is even the very smallest possibility that it may be true, we will claim we did things on our own strength. It is an instinct that we will claim credit from God. And this is true of all of us. And it's true of us from when we're children, isn't it? Can you picture the scene? I'm sure you know the kind of scene it would be. I mean, imagine uh, a family on, on, the, on the beach. A child 
little toddler wants to build a sandcastle. Their uncle is with them, and the uncle takes the child off to give the parents a bit of a break. The uncle takes the child off to go and build a sandcastle. They spend 20 minutes building a sandcastle. Little toddler comes back to tell mummy and daddy, build a sandcastle. And they go and have a look at it. They say, oh, you build a sandcastle. And the child says, yes, I did it all by myself. You've seen children do that. And the uncle is standing there going, no. But of course, the uncle doesn't say that. But you all know the child didn't do it. But the child wants to say, I did it all by myself. And that is our temptation too. That's the Israelites' temptation. That if God gives them the victory, even with 32,000 people in the army, that they will think, we did this all by ourselves. And that is the state of our hearts too. Dale Ralph Davis says this in his um, book about judges at this section. He says, doesn't chapter 7 verse 2 speak to us? Does it not tell us there is a certain deviousness in God's people? A tendency to steal God's praise? Isn't that true of us? Our temptation is to be praise thieves. Uh, When things are hard, before we do something... We will come before God pleading for him to help us. We may be very aware of our weakness at that point, aren't we? We come before him. We've got a bit of piece of work that we're struggling to do. Maybe a ministry at church that we feel utterly overwhelmed by. Uh, Maybe a meeting with someone that, that just feels too daunting. And we come before God and we say, God, I cannot do this. I need you to get me through this. And how do we react afterwards when it's gone well well we'll say yeah god thank you for helping me but don't we think i did okay there we may as well say i did it all by myself Uh, we wouldn't say it like that but that's in our hearts isn't it god's role is diminished and our hearts start to fill with pride and pride leads to idolatry doesn't it Pride does lead to idolatry, to worshipping ourselves. After all, if it settles into our hearts that I did that, then I, of course, should get the glory and the praise. And actually, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't really need God. And therefore, I sit in the highest place, full of glory and full of pride. And that's what God wants to prevent with Gideon and the Israelites. So how does God act to win their hearts? If strength is a danger for them, second point, the Lord graciously weakens. He reduces their numbers. That's how he does this, isn't it? Verse 3, he says, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Two-thirds, over two-thirds of the army leave and don't forget this is the army that had come forward when the spirit had come on Gideon he'd blown the trumpet and these are the people who arrived surely Gideon must have been thinking Lord this is your provision this is how we're going to do this with these 32,000 and now the Lord is saying 
Anyone who wants to go home can go home. He's dismissing the very people he has gathered. Must have been quite confusing for Gideon. And we know that Gideon wasn't a confident man, was he? He'd needed the whole of chapter 6 for God to reassure him over and over again, don't worry, I will deliver Midian into your hands. It will happen. I will do it. And Gideon does the whole fleece thing. Oh, in order for me to know for sure, let's do fleece out, it wet, ground dry. Okay, did that. You know what? Just once more, I just need that reassurance. And God does it the other way round. And now God is sending home two-thirds of the army. How utterly demoralizing it would have been to see them leave. And then verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Still too many? And so God says, I'm going to take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you. You don't get to pick who goes with you. I'm going to pick who goes with you. And they do this thing with the lapping of water. Now, I can't quite work out exactly what the distinction is, but it's sort of go down to the water, let them drink. And you've got some who kneel down and lap and others who are doing something else. Uh, not totally sure what. Um, but there is obviously a distinction there um, that God makes. Now, some people go a little bit mad on the... Um, well, the 300 who, who sort of lapped, you know, cut their hands and lapped, maybe those are the better soldiers, some people will say, because that means their heads are up and like meerkats, they're kind of able to look around while they drink and therefore they're the better soldiers, so God wanted them. Uh, except that's not what the passage says, is it? I mean, it's just, that's not the emphasis. The emphasis is just, I mean, it wouldn't have mattered who they were. God just wanted to reduce. I think it's just because that was the smaller number. You say, well, 300, yeah, let's go with 300. If it had been 30, that would have been fine. But it's 300. Those are the ones, that's the smaller number, so we get rid of most of them. So they've gone from 32,000 down to 300. And that is the gracious weakening of the Lord. Notice that as the others leave, these people who, I don't know, drank some other way. As they leave, verse 8, they give their provisions and trumpets to those who are left. It's interesting, just a little aside, it's interesting that no weapons are mentioned in the Israelites' hands. Uh, there are no, I mean, which doesn't mean they, they didn't have any. It's just that the author obviously thought they were irrelevant, what weapons the Israelites have. They seem to have a lot of trumpets, though, don't they? They've got a lot of trumpets. Not sure why they've got quite so many trumpets, whether brass bands were a big thing in Israel at the time. But they seem to have a lot of trumpets. Anyway, those who are leaving give their trumpets. Oh, there's a whole load of trumpets, you know. <laughs> Thousands of trumpets seem to be left around. <laughs> We've got loads of them. Uh, and their provisions to those who are left. Now, do you see the way God deals with his people here? He deliberately weakens them. 32,000 down to 300. And he's doing it, we can see, for their good, that they wouldn't rely on themselves. We can see that here. We can say that to them, can we? We could say, God is weakening you for your good. We need to learn. Very often in the Bible, the Lord uses weakness. It is, the whole, it is his hallmark. The way he does things, to use the weak, and even to weaken people, which is not mean, it is his grace. 
to weaken people so that we know it is not our strength, but it is the strength of the Lord that is at work. Sometimes it can feel, can't it, like the props of our lives are taken away from under us. Things that have held us up. Things we've relied on. But because God is concerned, not for our comfort, but for our hearts, he will remove those props. Because, you see, it's not only wrong for us to think that we are strong enough on our own or to think that other things can be our strength. It's not only wrong, it is bad for us and ultimately dangerous. Because those other things that we might rely on can't ultimately prop us up. They can't actually prop up our lives. They weren't designed to do it, and they can't give us eternal life. So, in his grace, God sometimes weakens us, takes the props away. And sometimes we don't know how much we were relying on something until the Lord removes it. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, because um, it is consistently the way the Lord deals with us, isn't it? Becoming a Christian, even, requires us to be confronted by our weakness. Because the Bible confronts us with our sin. We're tempted to say to God, when we come to him, uh, when we become a Christian, we're tempted to come to God and say, you should accept me because I'm okay. I'm not as bad as other people. And yet the Bible comes right back at us and confronts us with our sin and says, there is no one righteous, not even one. That's what it says in Romans 3. And because we're praise thieves, we want to come back to God and say, yeah, but I'm pretty good, aren't I? I'm pretty good. I'm all right, really. And the Bible says, not even one. The Lord shows us our helplessness, our weakness. God wants us to see we can't rely on anything else in this world. We can't rely on other people. We can't rely on ourselves. However good those other things may be and however God-given they may be, they can't be the prop that holds up our lives. He shows us our weakness in our sin and sometimes weakens us by removing the props in our lives, which is all God's grace. And he does it so that, and we see our third point, he does it such that the Lord's power is made perfect in weakness. And so that we can see that. Now, the way the battle is won makes it abundantly clear that it is the Lord who gives the victory. Uh, we need to sort of skim through it a bit. Um, God says to Gideon um, that, he's gonna, that now is the time to move. Uh, now is the time to attack the Midianites, now that he's down to 300 people. Uh, and yet says to Gideon, look, if you're not sure, if you're still scared, <laughs> Gideon's still scared. <sighs> Yeah, he is. Um, he says, go down to the camp and uh, you'll see, you'll be encouraged. And so Gideon and his servant Pura um, go down to the outpost of the camp. I'm not sure exactly what's going on there. Maybe there's a campfire there, some of the guards on duty, maybe they're, they're having their campfire. And uh, Gideon and Pura go in amongst the campfire and just listen to what's being said. And one of them relays a dream. Verse 13, I had a dream. A round loaf of barley bread comes tumbling into the camp and knocks over a tent with such force it's overturned and collapses. And the other person around the fire said, well, it's obvious. It's obvious what that's about. 
I love the language he uses. He says, this can be nothing other. I mean, there is no possible explanation other than this. This is what it means. It's the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. No other explanation. Which you say, well, you know, the Lord giving this dream and giving this interpretation, yes. I think it also just shows, it's showing to Gideon, this is the mental state of the Midianite camp. They're just terrified. And yet they vastly outnumber the Israelites. But they are terrified of Gideon and uh, of the Lord. And so Gideon goes away from uh, hearing about that dream uh, and, uh, uh, and interestingly, he worships, it tells us. Um, verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. That is significant, isn't it? That's where the Lord wanted to get Gideon. Just remove most of his army. He hears that dream and that is the moment he says, I'm worshipping the Lord. I bow down before him. That's where the Lord wants to get us as well. Well, Gideon then goes to his troops, tells them to surround the Midianite camp. They surround the camp. They've got their trumpets, many of them, uh, and they blow them, smash the jars and raise the shout uh, while holding the torches high, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And then do you see what the Israelites do? What do they do next? Verse 21, while each man held his position round the camp, all the Midianites cry ran, crying out as they fled. The Midianites cry out, fleeing, running around, like headless chickens, running around, but headless chickens with swords. Verse 22, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. What an incredible, wonderful, and yet horrible sight for the Israelites. Can you imagine, imagine how they felt just before they blew the trumpets? 300 of them surrounding this vast Midianite army. Looking at this vast Midianite army, probably thinking, we are, we are very much outnumbered here. If this camp, if these people turn on us, we are stuffed. And what are we about to do? We're about to blow trumpets. We're about to tell them exactly where we are. They blow their trumpets, smash the jars, hold the torches high, give the shout, and the whole camp panics. Can you imagine it? All those people panicking, drawing swords, killing each other. And all God's people have to do is stand and hold their position. And that is it. And yes, there's the mopping up operation afterwards where others are drawn in. But these people can have been in no doubt that this was the Lord's doing. Not one of them could have said, we did this all by ourselves. And that is God's purpose for us, to know his strength made perfect in our weakness. And we too are called to stand and see the victory of God. We're confronted by our sin in the Bible, by our weakness, by our longing for the praise and glory to come to us. And we are brought to our knees before God saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And though we hang our heads in shame, yet he lifts our eyes and calls us to look to the cross of Jesus, 
calls us to see the victory of Jesus dying in our place. A victory that can only be God's doing. It is nothing of us. And he says, you don't need to do anything. I have won the victory for you. How did he do it? Through the weakness of the cross. Because as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, God's weakness is stronger than man's strength. Know your weakness. See it. And then look to God and see his strength at the cross. Rejoice when we take communion together, which we will do. Know it is Jesus and Jesus alone who wins the victory for us over our sin. And that looking to the Lord for strength is not something we just do when we become Christians. We never grow out of it. We've got to keep doing it. Being weak before God is not just something we do when we become Christians. uh, And it's not just about our sin being dealt with. It's a day-to-day reality, isn't it? With the many weaknesses we go on to face in our lives. Paul says this in uh, 2 Corinthians. Would you just turn to it? Um, Just open up your Bibles to to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, It's uh, just a few verses to look at. I thought we'd turn them up rather than put them on the screen. Um, So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And verses 8 uh, to 10 I'm going to read. So page 1166, 1166. Because, you see, for Paul, uh, there was something that particularly weakened him. We're not exactly sure what it was. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Uh, And it was obviously something that that was very trying for him. And he says, verse 8, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever the weaknesses are we're facing at the moment, will we look to the Lord and ask for his strength to be made perfect? in our weakness. We may not feel quite yet that we can boast in that weakness, but let's pray that we get to that point. Will you bring that weakness, whatever it is at the moment, whatever you're facing, maybe you do it for someone else, maybe you're not feeling it particularly at the moment, but you know of someone who is going through something very hard. Will you plead with the Lord to make his strength perfect in their weakness? I'm gonna give us a few moments now to respond to what we've heard. Uh, look back over the passage in Judges or look at those verses in 2 Corinthians and would you just take a few moments to pray I'm going to leave the front and after a few moments Mark will then come uh, and lead us on in the service but let's take some moments to pray now